Welcome to the Jules Fancast. We are back again with another episode of the Jules Fancast Meets. Today I'm joined by yet another member of the 2008-9 Wembley promotion winning campaign. He's a man who's made over 400 career appearances, 59 of course for the Jules. And if you're a fan of football in Kent, you obviously will know who this is. He's had spells not only at Jules but also at Maidstone, Dover and Ebbsfleet. He's played for basically all of them. We welcome today Mr Stuart Lewis. Stuart, how are you and thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, I hope everyone's sort of safe in this uh, unpredictable time, but uh, look forward to talking football uh, in the next hour. Yeah, anyone who's listened to a lot of our recent ones, we've talked to current players and we've spent about 10 minutes talking about the effects and stuff, so it's actually pretty good positive that you're actually retired at the minute, so you don't have to go into it too much. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose that's a silver lining, hopefully. You know, I'm actually coaching at Tottenham, so it's quite uh, so it's quite topical at the moment, I suppose the uh, the effects of it. But um, yes, I think uh, it's going to affect football of, of all levels and all leagues and and things like that. So um, it'll be interesting how we we look when we come out at the end of it. Really, yeah, we'll come on to your Tottenham Academy at the at the near the end because you went there after you retired, of course, been there for a while, and obviously. That does actually lead us on to our first point, is when you had the youth spells as a youngster at Norwich between 97 and 98, then Arsenal between 98 and 2004, then Tottenham, who you're obviously coaching now, between 2004 2005. So you've obviously played for both the both the North London clubs. I want to talk about Arsenal specifically first, because between 98 and 2004, that was obviously the back end when the Invincibles were coming out, and it obviously was a was a bit of a good time to be an Arsenal fan, I think, to say the least. And I'm I'm interested to this point. You might not even support either of them, but considering you played for both Arsenal and Tottenham at youth level, did you support either of them when you were growing up, or was it just you went to both of them as a career path? Yeah, it's quite an interesting story because I'm an actual, um, well, I was an actual Tottenham season ticket holder throughout my throughout my sort of younger years. My my mum and dad are from um, Edmonton, right near Tottenham, so. Um, I was I was at Arsenal playing for Tottenham and I remember one weekend I think I was about an under twelve or thirteen and I actually missed the game to go to the cup final at um, Millennium Stadium against Blackburn to watch Tottenham and Liam Brady I remember at the time was fuming because uh, I, I couldn't play the game so I was I was more than just a, a sort of a fan of Tottenham I was a season ticket holder so um, yeah it's quite strange. Are you I'm a family of Spurs fans really. Your parents are right if you're playing for Arsenal as a youth career, or are they thinking that as soon as you say uh, you've got interest from Arsenal, that maybe you should try and have a sport that maybe ain't in the right way? <laughs> no, was, obviously my dad was a, a big Tottenham fan, but um, I think when it comes to sort of things like um, in your development as a, as a young footballer, you sort of just go to where you think you're going you're gonna to progress the best and, and where you're going to get some sort of really good coaching, and that obviously was the case at Arsenal at that time. So. Um, I look back on it. Well, we had a really good side actually, with some uh, players that went on to play in, in in the Premier League and in the in throughout the, the uh, throughout the league. So no, it was a, it was a really good um, learning experience for me. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I couldn't for some reason or another I couldn't find it when I was researching it. But I was going to ask about especially that Tottenham between two thousand four two thousand five, the players you played with, and 
who where they might be now. I think maybe if I'm trying to pick one off the top of my head, I've no idea if they came through the youth system. I think in similar times, maybe people like Tom Odelston, maybe someone like that. Yeah, obviously uh, the Arsenal uh, group. There was a few that sort of came through: um, Breeze Moamba, Ryan Smith, Jamie O'Hara, who actually moved to Tottenham as well, um, Matthew Connolly. Um, there were some, there were some sort of players that really sort of broke through and and, and had sort of good careers. Um, and then at Tottenham, um, our youth team, there was the likes of uh, Charlie Daniels, who's now at Bournemouth. Um, Andy Barch, who obviously played for the Jills. Oh, Charlie played for the Jills as well, didn't yeah. he? Um, myself, Charlie Lee. Um, so yeah, some some players, Jamie O'Hara as well, and um, some some players that Mark Wright actually went on to more of a celebrity career. But um, we had a quite a good youth team, and a lot of the boys, Simon Dawkins, went on to play in the Premier League for Villa. So Jack McGoma. So yeah, there was there was a few that that really sort of had good careers. Yeah, we obviously had Mark's brother Josh in that promotion side as well. I think Mark's more of a once a year comes out for the soccer aid and tries to do his best. <laughs> yeah, no, he was actually good, like, good left back when he was younger. So uh, obviously you've got big connections with Gillingham as well through Josh and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, it was you know, some some really good players and, and some good people as well, really. Yeah, he's, doing, he's, he's actually got quite a good left foot. I think I remember him scoring like, a free kick or something at a soccer aid game and everyone was saying that... Um, he, he had the chance to be pro at some point, but he went the other way and I suppose he's made his money that way and Josh has taken the football inside of it. So I suppose if you're in that family, you get the best of both worlds, really. Um, yeah, definitely. So we move on to you becoming a senior at Tottenham. That was between 2005-2007 when you obviously finished up the youth, youth side of that aspect. But you um, failed to make an appearance for the actual Tottenham first team, but you did, however, feature a lot for the under-18s as a captain. You uh, won the Premier Reserve League South, as I think it's probably called something else now. That was in uh, 2006. So I suppose although you didn't actually end up making a professional uh, appearance for Tottenham, you still, you still had a lot of that, a lot of time there that did influence your career going forward and give you that experience. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the, the time I spent there, I think, really held me in good stead and has brought put me in good stead for the rest of my career, really. We had, as I say, we had a real competitive youth team, which you had to earn your shirt to get into. And I think if you go through and speak to any player that plays throughout the leagues in Premiership all the way down, that you have to you have to earn that shirt through training. And it was a real feisty environment. And I look back at it now, and I think that played a, a massive part in, in the games I ended up um, sort of completing, if you like, and I think we we just we constantly was trying to compete with each other and, and win the running, win the win small sided games. And I think that the players that came through at that time, as I say, we've all we've all forged really good careers. And um, there wasn't probably so much emphasis on sports science and um, things like that. But I look back at it now, and I don't think there's probably many in that group that sort of struggled to to carve out 40 to 50 games a season and um, I think a lot of that come from our upbringing at, at Tottenham. Do you think that the teams at that sort of time when you're in a youth team like in the early 2000s like 2005, 2006 or something where obviously nowadays if you're in that sort of predicament with those sort of teams you have all the access to all you know the social medias, the Instagrams and you sort of see it sometimes that people in youth teams and they sort of let it get to their head a bit if you know what I mean that they can putting their um, social media yeah. bios like, yeah, I play for Tottenham and use it to advantages and stuff and sort of somewhat lose sight of what they're actually there to achieve. Do you think as a group you perhaps benefited from not having that side of it in the sense that you didn't 
have the excuse to perhaps get carried away and you had to f- keep your yeah, full I focus think, on what I you were now, doing. now, like, most people would know, like, social media plays a big part in everyone's life or it, you can use it as a positive and a negative. But one thing that probably the boys have got now, they put, obviously, that it's very well known um, that they play for Tottenham and, they, if you like, they put on a pedestal, but not by themselves, but actually by the social um, that community, if you like. And I think it, it must be harder now that when you come out of there and you come down, so like I look at it myself when I was there, I come out and I played for Barnett Stevenage and worked my way back up in my career. How would that now look to, to people out? Oh, he's gone from Tottenham to there. And I suppose now there's more people, um, what's the word, probably recognising it compared to what I had, whereas I just sort of got my hands dirty, if you like, and went and forged my career in the lower leagues. But I think now, um, it's a in their eyes, it's probably a bigger, bigger fall because of social media and things. But um, it's it's a tough, it's a tough. We speak about it a lot, you know. Like it's a tough, uh, a, a, not it's a tough world to come through as a player now because your mistakes are highlighted or people can contact you, can't they? And I'm sure some players do look at it and things like that. So yeah, it's not it's not easy. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you've seen it yet, but um, I finished up the. Uh the second season of Sunderland Till I Die the other day, and it was um, a bit of the episode where Josh Maggio, who was a striker there, he was um, playing for Sunderland, he was, they were trying to negotiate a new contract with him, and it was essentially completely down to his agent what happened. He ended up more moving to Bordeaux, and I think he had, um, I think he was offered contracts which were like way and above what they could afford at the time because of how important he was to him, and it was sort of just controlled by his agent, and he didn't really seem to have much of a say in it, and he went anyway, but I suppose that's something that it sort of ties in with, with the social media aspect yeah, because no, he thinks, I think, how can I... I think more so than ever now, um, the influence, obviously, I, I work in it and I see, like, the influence of agents, I see the influence of, or if you like to probably sort of put it under it, like, the outside influence is being bigger than ever. Um, but I think that's when it's important, where you have a strong family or you have strong coaches and strong people that are in the clubs that have been been there, seen it and got the T-shirt. There's uh, one of the top coaches... Um, on top people that I've ever met in football John McDermott he was brilliant um, for me as a player and he is for all the young players now on having that strong influence on on each on each individual if you like and also your mum and dad play a big role and, and your close people to you but not everyone's obviously always fortunate to have that but um, I think the, the, the agents now are, are probably play the numbers game run after the one or two and, and they sign how many but ultimately it's your parents and your family and, and the top coaches around you they're the ones that have your best interests at heart yeah of course Cause if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're thinking from the agent's point of view you know if your players that you're representing is going to move on you know that you want to get the biggest fee possible in that deal because the bigger the fee that means the bigger the cut for the agent as well yeah exactly and I think sometimes um, I've had certain instances in my career where in the end I, I never had an agent I actually did a lot of the, the phoning up or the calling or the negotiating myself and I was with my dad and we'd, we'd ring a solicitor just to oversee have a look at it but in the end I think you sort of get used to um, you get you get a little bit brave if you like and you understand that this is your like your company if you like it's your business and I think sometimes having someone looking after it who you don't know that well is, is a big gamble and risk really yeah, I suppose it is because I suppose when you say that about making your own decisions, that gives you your own stability and you know what you're doing in that sort of situation. I suppose 
I'm a bit, well, yeah. I want to say I'm surprised more people don't do that, but you don't know how many people actually do because not many yeah, come out and say it. if you're young, like ringing a manager to say, oh, I want this much, and somewhere, I understand that can be quite difficult, but I think I got to a point where I got stung a couple of times and I spoke to a few managers and I was like, oh, I was available in the summer and they didn't even know. So I think you get to a point where you, like you say, you want to be in charge of your own, uh, own destiny or your own business if you like and, and I got to that point in my career Yeah so we'll move, we'll move on to past Tottenham now you were playing for Barnet you made just four appearances at that time and you were released and then signed by Stevenage under Mark Simpson in 2007-8 to eight. you played 30 times that season with three goals and at the same time actually you were playing for the England C team in uh, Finland Helsinki beating their under 21 side 2-0 what sort of experience was that at such an early time in your career to go to represent your country at a sea level and, you know, obviously go to somewhere like Finland, Helsinki. It's a lovely place that I've never been to, but yeah. I'm sure it's nice. And no, it <laughs> so was, was brilliant because I'd, I'd represented uh, England at sort of lower levels at 16s and 17s. So um, it was something that uh, was, again, was a brilliant experience. And um, it's quite an interesting... That, that, England non-league side, if you like, or the England C, what they call it, probably produced so many players over the years as well. I think if you probably look back at it, the amount of players that played in it who went on to have really successful uh, football league and even premiership careers, I think, would be remarkable. So um, it was a great experience, and, and I think we played their under-21s, and actually we beat them. So that shows the level that of players. I think there's uh, Russell Penn, James Constable was in my team, short... Uh, was it Morrison who was at Cambridge that went on to play for Birmingham um, the, the team was like littered with um, players that ended up going to play in the football league so I think it was a, a real good sort of springboard for me um, to sort of show that I had uh, the level to go and play in the football league I think yeah James Constable you mentioned that he's uh, oh, Constable, yeah. who was at um, Oxford for a long time wasn't he very established yeah, player so I think, I think Matt Tubbs who went on to sort of score a lot of goals yeah, in the football league um, Steve Morrison played for them. I think Mitchell Cole, who passed away, um, he he played for them as well. There was, there was a, a, throughout the years, Aaron McLean, Michael Kitely, players that, um, that, as I say, did their trade in, in the lower leagues or non-league and then used that as a springboard to go and uh, further their careers in in like foot in the book, obviously Kitely and McLean in the Premiership and things like that. Steve Morrison as well. So I think it, it's a real good. Um, it was like a real a real good place to to show what you was about. Yeah, of course, experiences like that can only really help you in the the role you're playing now at Tottenham as well, especially with the younger players and sort of giving them that experience that you've learnt firsthand and they can go and use it themselves and hopefully achieve similar things. No, yeah, definitely. I think as well, it's more than anything is that you can never well, as soon as you be, you can never give up on it. You know, I left Tottenham and then you went to I went to Barnet and you're thinking. Blimey, I've gone from a Premier League club now to like League Two. I wasn't making that squad at times. I met Andy Hessen Tyler there, which was which was which turned out to be a really good sort of uh, experience to, to watch Hess at 38, 39 still be the fittest person in a team, which was unbelievable. Um, I made my league debut next to Hess away at Torquay, playing against Paul Smith actually, who was obviously a Jules legend mm-hmm. as well. So that really opened my eyes to what. Uh, real sort of men's football was about and um, Nicky Bailey was also at Barnet so I, I come across a lot of players that sort of taught me even in a short spell of probably a six weeks to two months what it was like to be in the in the real world 
and then um, there's none of that washing you, washing, you have to wash your own kit, you have to bring your own lunches and I think those little, um, those little things have always stayed with me, you know, and I've, I've always appreciated um, those things and I've, I've worked so hard in training or I did work so hard in training that I, I, I think you learn from those sort of people, you see Hesse doing the gym sessions at, at, at Barnet and thinking this this fella's desire and, and how ripped he was and how strong he was at his age like it was, it was unbelievable and I think I always took it from then to think you know what that's gonna that's what I'm gonna be like and I'm gonna make that um I'm gonna make that impact in a dressing room if you like so I learned a lot from those early days at Barnet Stevenage and as I say I think it's really important that the young players now realize that even if you do get a knockback or you get a release that it's, it doesn't it's not the end of the world but like all those players I've mentioned that played in the England C, like they that they, they had knockbacks, but used those knockbacks to to bounce back, if you like, and go and play how many hundreds and score hundreds of goals in the league. So I think it's a real, it's really important that um, younger players nowadays don't let disappointments define them, because if they let it define them, then then they're not going to come back from it. So I think it's really important to do that. I'm sure if if Hesse had his way, he'd be, be subbing himself on now. To be fair. Um, well, when I was at Dover, what was it, 10, like 10, 12 months ago, he was still joining in and he was still trying to kick everyone and if he was losing, he'd get the ump. And I think once it's in you, it's in you, isn't it? And um, a lot of you, when we played a lot at our team, like Hesse's teams that he managed always played with that desire and that edge and will to win. And um, I think he was still sort of winning some of the races last year in, in the running. He was beating some of the strikers and that because he, uh, he still kept himself fit. So... I think that's a real important aspect of of all um, successful individuals and teams that work ethic and that desire because um, over the course of a season you need that it's massive. So before we get on to Stevenage, you mentioned there about not giving up. What what was your initial reaction when you knew you were you were let, being let go by Tottenham and then obviously as you say dropping down? I know you said you never give up, but is there ever that that slight percentage in your head that sort of starts to think that maybe this isn't for me, or was it always? We just have to learn and continue from this. Um, I think that there was there was a stage, there was probably a night or two at Barnet when I, I wasn't in the squads, and I thought I don't know if if I'm going to be able to sort of get through this, you know, or I'm going to get the break. And then obviously Mark Stimson, um, you need obviously opportunity and things like that. So Mark Stimson was at Stevenage at the time, and it was quite local to me, and he'd watched me play for Tottenham Reserves, which obviously links back to where we spoke about at the start that. Um, I played some good games there, and I used to get my foot in, obviously, and get get my tackles in. And he just rang me out of nowhere and said, "Look, come and come and play for me for a few months. See if see if you can uh, earn yourself a contract for next season. It's a good club, and and then that's what I did. And that's what I did. And I think that you had to fight. It probably a defining point in your career. Like you look back on it now, and that was a defining moment. I remember the phone call. Um, and I think if I wouldn't have made that decision to go and play for, for him at that point, then I might not have had the career or might not have gone on to do what I, I did, if you like. So I think you always have those moments that are going to, like I say earlier, define you. And when it does come, you have to take that chance because obviously people are not just going to sign players that are, are not good enough. So you have to take it with both hands, really. Um, but I was ready to do that. Yeah, cool. So you went to Stevenage and obviously you had a very big impact in that team. Obviously, Stimo was there at the time before, on November the 1st of that season between seven, uh, 2007 to eight. he was um, taken by us. 
which obviously yeah. you, you reunited with him at, at the point. And what what do you think it was about that season when he left? Do you think you suffered as a team because you uh, suffered six defeats in your last nine games in that season, which mean, meant you missed out on a playoff place that year when you're still in the National League, of course. And when Simpson did join us, he took uh, John Nutt and Adam Miller with him. Obviously, you played with the following season at Gilles and then subsequently when you left, Barry Fuller came with him. So obviously he had his favourites in that team, but... You were still there throughout the rest of uh, that campaign. So, how how big a loss at the time was it when he when he left? Obviously, having brought you in himself as well. Um, yeah, I, I actually sort of went. I think I went as well in the January with him. Um, I come with Barry Fuller as well on, in January. But I remember when obviously we'd started the season really well and we had a, a real good <clears throat> a good young side that was hungry and um, we were. We were, I think, yeah, we were top of the league, and I think when he left, it it, it, it was obvious that he was going to be trying to take some some players with him and and things like that. he built a really good squad of players, and uh, I think I think it probably he didn't recover from that. Um, as I say, I think as uh, at that point there was a lot of good young players and. And I think uh, it was Mark Stimson probably looks back on it now. It was obviously the right decision to make, but for Stevenage, it hit them quite hard at that time. Um, and, and as I say, we had Steve Morrison, who went on to obviously play for Millwall and uh, have a good career. And um, obviously, Johnny Nutter, Adam Miller, myself, and Barry come and play for Gillingham. And, and throughout that, Ronnie Henry obviously got into league with Stevenage. So it was a real good side. And I think Mark Stimson was the figurehead of that at that time. And um, it, as I say, it hit them quite hard, Stevenage. Yeah, of course, you take the spine out of that team that was so successful at the start of the season. It's almost. Don't say impossible Alan to Julian as well. He came and he he joined the Jills as well. I think the year after. Um, so I think, as I say, uh, Mark Stimson had a big influence on uh, a lot of our careers at, at that time, and um, I think he um, he gave us all a, a, a real edge and added something to our games that <clears throat> we'd obviously all been sort of crying for, if you like. So um, that was quite a big loss. Uh, Peter Taylor came in though, and as I say, I had a good time under Peter Taylor. He made me captain at 19, which was a brilliant achievement to captain Stevenage at such a young age by someone like Peter Taylor, who obviously had managed England and things like that. So um, I still had a sort of a good time once Mark Stimson left, but it was uh, I think it, it just unsettled the ship, if you like. Yeah, Peter's obviously had a very a lot of spells of us as well throughout the years. Too many I can remember off the top of my head, but he's had quite a lot. Obviously, one promotion with us at Wembley back in the nineties, and he's had a few more since then. But of course, he did, he did join us in that January, and it didn't, it didn't end up particularly well that season in League One. We obviously ended up getting relegated. I think the final day at Leeds, I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, I suppose, a bit of a difficult, difficult time for you to come in to come into when it was obviously an established team, and obviously Stimson's brought you in with loads of other new players at the time, and. There was um something I spoke to um, Mark Bentley about last week. He was obviously there at the same time as you, and he he said that um when the new players came in because we knew rumours about this like back then um it's obviously okay to bring up now because it's so long ago but um there was rumoured to be a lot of hostility at training between the new players like yourselves coming in and the original players who were ever there. He also he always said that um the new players are putting in coming in saying saying we're going to put in proper tackles and then to like rile them up and was it almost like in. Did you almost like try and incite each other in the original squad to, I don't know, maybe push each other on? Or do you reckon, considering how the season worked out, it was sort of a naive move at the time from the new players to act that way towards the established ones? Um, 
but back on it now, and obviously up with my experience, I think that it it was it was probably fifty fifty down the middle. I think that we were obviously quite young, like not young, but I think we that's how we played, that's how we trained, and um, obviously like with anything, when you have a, a group of players that are already there and some new players come in. Um, there's going to be a, an obvious hostility or there's going to be a little bit of something because obviously they've brought you in to take their shirts and then obviously the established players want to keep their shirts. That's just the, that's just the nature of football, if you like. And I, but I just think that it was probably a little bit uh, childish across the board. Um, I don't think it needed to be like that. Um, I think that if you sort of said, right, but that's not to say that some of the established players at that time um, didn't act correctly either or that their training methods were, was because Mark Stimson one of these big things was hard work and how we're going to train and and, that, and some of the players that were there at that time they didn't want to do that they was on great contracts um, and they didn't want to train with that intensity um, they just wanted sort of an easy life it, it, not Mark Bentley but some of the players at that time wanted an easy life Um and that's something that Mark Stimson didn't believe in. And I think it was probably a mixture. And then then all of a sudden it just sort of started to boil, if you like, mm. um, under underneath. And there was obviously the, the, the stigma of like the non-league boys and then these ones. And I just think that looking back on it, it was ridiculous, really, because the ultimate thing of any successful team is togetherness and is, is hard work, like I'm talking about. And I just don't think it was needed from probably both sides. Um, so I think I think that uh, it was it was a really uh, turbulent sort of time. Uh, I look at it now and I think it's a real turbulent time. And uh, relegation came out of nowhere really because I think when I signed we were like mid table. But I think the animosity in the dressing room didn't really play the big part in that. Yeah, of course. I think it probably, I don't want to say it could have come at a worse time considering. You know where where you said we were mid table, and it sort of seemed that 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 event in there did sort of aid to the capitulation of that season. I, I actually listened to an interview you did a couple of years ago at the time. I think it was for Radio Kent or something to do with Radio Kent in that section. And you had a, a quite a funny story about the altercations I mentioned there with your with yourself and uh, Leroy Griffiths, if you can remember that. And yeah, no, they were br- like there's things like that that they were brilliant. Like I, I, as I say, like it wasn't. Uh, it was just how I trained, and I know it sounds. I used to I used to tackle in training how I did in a game, and I remember it was brilliant. We used to train at Priestfield, so and it was raining. It was a great day, and it was like perfect for like a slide tackle. And I, yeah. I remember I took him, and I think it was Sean Clehesi out at the time, and I did take him. I won the ball and took both of them out, and um, it wasn't until we got back in the dressing room and uh, Lee was in the shower and he come bowling out like all soaked up and he literally he was so big Leroy and he uh, he grabbed me by the throat put me on like oh you don't you ever kick me again like well not obviously a little bit more colourful than that but uh, that was just how I how I trained at that time or I did throughout my career really so I think that it wasn't probably necessary. I was a young player at the time it, it all went over my head a little bit but I think some of the more like you say established players they they, they felt it was a lot different to what they were used to and um, some of the, the players coming in they, as I say probably didn't help help either but there were some great times at Jill's as I say it was uh, I think once it did get going and we got we got a group that was, was together and things like that um, it, like, as you see at the, at the moment um, or previously 
Um, it is somewhere that once it gets on a run of results and a momentum, I think Priestfield becomes a real tough place to go to. Mm. Um, I think it's an absolute uh, like cauldron of <laughs> real edginess, and and you can really get on a you get a good momentum there. Um, and I think we got that the year after. Yeah, so just last point on this like hostility section, would would you put that down to then the whole situation with just a, a difference in? in style of play if you like because you're coming in as these new long league players and as you say the way you tackle is the way you, you tackle in the game and obviously the established players who may not have come from non-league I know a few of them would have in, earlier in their career but it's not something they would have been used to so they had to realise that to become a successful team you had to bed both yourselves and the established players together and they had to just figure out that that was the way you play and get used to it and that sort of in a sense, maybe the difference of ideas and lack of how each other played yeah. at the time, what they were used to, is what needed it. I think it sort of frustrated, like not, I don't know, I can't talk for the other lads, non-league, but it sort of frustrated me, the non-league sort of like tag, if you like, as well, yeah, because yeah. I used to think, I used to think, well, I played like, well, as you said earlier, 30 games for Stevenage. I could have gone on loan from Tottenham to Stevenage and then gone to Gillingham anyway. Um, and I think that that was just my style of play. It wasn't that I was a non-league hatchet man that, that just used to go around kicking everyone it wasn't that it was more so like an intensity of training like and I think it was just so different to what they'd been to the current squad had been used to um, and, and without sort of repeating myself I think that some of the contracts and some of the money that was getting thrown about uh, at Gillingham at that time was, was, was massive and I think that did, did the work ethic and did the, did the training intensity match the pay contracts no way near it you know and I think that there had to be and I think the chairman obviously saw that at the time that, that this can't carry on how it is um, and that's not to say that obviously it didn't um, sort of turn around in the long run but I think it was just more more it was completely different to what what they were used to um, we had like a fitness guy come in it was quite ahead of the time really when you think about it now um, but we had like a fitness guy that used to come in and work work us quite hard and um, yeah it was just probably difference of, of people really I mean it's got a rare situation actually when you find that many players who come from non-league all join one team at the same time because I think nowadays the most the more times you see non-league players make the jump into uh, football league it's usually for quite a big fee like I think recently uh Going back a few years, but Matty Godden came from non-league for a big fee, and is now obviously. Yeah, I played with Matty Godden. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he was obviously doing brilliantly now at, um, at Coventry, and when you see players sign for a fee like that, you don't maybe think about it how it would have been back then. You think about like he's come with a big fee, he's, he's got something about him. You don't sort of degrade him in the sense, I suppose, but you see a, a lot of it more now where the non-league players are coming up with a lot more respect now because people can appreciate the level it is at National League and now it's not it's not easy yeah. it's tough it's rough and tough you get yeah. knocked about I, I think as well I think if you look at some of the players obviously like you, so Barry Fuller was one of those if you like and Barry's gone on to look play 500 league games um, obviously myself I, I, I made a, a football league career if you like, until the sort of back end of my career when I moved back into the non-league um, but a lot of the players that um, Simeon Jackson, what career he went on to have. Yeah, Russian and I think diamonds he came from. If, if you look at some of the players that Mark Stimson brought in, or most of us, like Johnny Nutter and uh, Adam Miller, if you like, if you, look at, as you think of those four, Alan Julian went on to play in the league. Like, I think that we all, it wasn't, we all went on from there as well, if you like, and we all mm. sort of played our league games and elsewhere as well. So I think that, um, 
was it was a it was a tag at the time that maybe because obviously the manager was from Stevenage as well, and, and it's something I look back on now, and I think that um, didn't probably on a personal note hit the heights I, I wanted to at Gillingham, but I had some great times there individually as well. So it's, it's, it's quite a, a strange one. Yeah, the names you mentioned, like Barry Fuller, still playing for us now. He's going to go oh, down. Yeah, he's going to go. Yeah, he's going to go down to the history books as a legend at our club. He's yeah. He's, he's, he's still. I think he's still got a couple of years left in his contract. I, I fully expect him to retire with us. Actually, I, I hope so. Anyway, and he's say Simeon obviously went and played in the Premier League with Norwich. He's uh, he's uh, gone down a bit now to League Two. I think is at Stevenage. Funnily enough, um, yeah. but he's had a great career anyway. And uh, yeah, we'll move on to how it did all. Turn out for the best, I suppose, in the season. Season after, with the disappointment of your first like sort of campaign at Jill's ending in relegation. Obviously, the following season, it all came came to fruition, and we picked ourselves up and obviously got out of League Two, which is a, a tough league to get out of. I don't think people specifically realise how how difficult it is to get out of a league like that. It's sort of similar to the National League. And someone said to me the other day that um, once you're in the National League, it's quite hard to get out of it. And I think that's similar to League Two as well. And it was a it was a tough campaign, but we we got to Wembley final and we ended up getting promoted. So you ro- you wrote the wrongs from the following uh, from the season before, and obviously we made all all the hostility and whatever it was. It all came full circle and ended up being a really together group that got the job done in the end. And I look back at that campaign as it was a very a very interesting one to say the least. I mean, like if you if you didn't know that like, if you were just talking to a random fan, they had no idea about. Actually, let's put it back this way. Let's say like we're we're midway through the season. And someone tells you that the playoff final is going to be Gillingham v Shrewsbury, and they tell someone that Shrewsbury are beating Gillingham seven nil early on in that season. You'd think that's not going to happen, is it? I think the 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 sheer nature of that season, how crazy it was, like that you can I think we lost to them nine two on aggregate that season, and obviously got the one goal that mattered at Wembley, and that that made all the difference. And it was just a a, a come full circle again, really. How you can have such a horrible result like that, and then end up getting a last laugh over them at the end, but um. I want to, before we get to the Wembley final, we'll talk about your your highlights from that season because I've got a couple out there. Obviously, I think the the FA Cup tie that you played in at home to Aston Villa at Priestfield lost two one thanks to um Ashley Young Ashley Young getting shot in the penalty area, um <laughs> and that lost us that game. And what was that game like for you playing playing against players like that? I think Young played. I remember Stidian Petrov played. James Milner played. I'm pretty certain. Uh, John yeah. Carew played. Maybe Zach Knight. Yeah, that no, was well. good. It was. I, I I remember it quite quite clearly. I remember that time actually. Because I remember uh, talking about Barry Fuller actually. Barry. Um, it was just after Christmas, I think, and Barry had pneumonia or he'd been ill, um, and we were struggling for a, a fullback. We didn't have another fullback, and I remember Mark Stimson sort of coming to me, and I'd been a bit in and out of the side really. I I had a stop start. Um, couple of months before Christmas really and uh, I think I was a, a, a young player but at some point I wanted to go and play but as I say he come to me and he said how do you feel about playing fullback and um, we'll work on some sort of some of the passes you need as a fullback and I've never really done it to be honest and uh, I thought you know what like probably that bit we spoke about earlier to get in the team and to work hard oh yeah I'll do it I can do it and I played in a practice match against um, Albert Jarrett who was who was there and he absolutely roasted me in training um, and I was thinking blimey this is going to be tough work this fullback and then uh, I played Wickham the game before I think the Aston Villa game and I scored an own goal mm. um, Royce come out and I, I went to head it 
it back to him and bloody scored an own goal. So uh, it weren't a great start to, to that little spell of playing right back. And then um, we actually drew a one all with Wickham. But the week after, I think we had Aston Villa and I just... Um, I think Ashley Young had actually he'd, he'd had a brilliant game against Everton, um, and Martin O'Neill come on to him and was like, "Oh, Ashley, you're a genius. Uh, you're that." And it was just a matter of time before he got his Man United move. And uh, I remember watching that game, thinking, "Blimey, I've got to mark him next week." And uh, I remember a phone call with my dad actually on the morning of the games. So we kicked off more early, and he just said, "Stu, whatever you do, just try and get a try and get a." A, a tough tackling on him or get tight to him don't give him any room and, and that was just in my mind really and I just thought you know what I'm just not going to like leave his side a little bit I'm going to be really tight and um, and that's what I did and I sort of I think I gained confidence from the game as well I remember um, quite early on there was a tackle I made right near the Rainham end actually and, and just that corner and I, and I turned my back and I just thought, right, I'm going. And I made a tackle on him. And uh, it was like we'd scored a goal. Mm. I think the whole corner of that stadium just went up in like It was like we'd scored. And I think from there, I just gained a, a confidence. And um, listen, we lost the game. But I think me personally, uh, from that moment, I think it, 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 it rose me a little bit. And... Um, I got, I got, obviously, I played. I had, a, I had a good game in that, and I think most Jules fans will remember um, remember a positive from myself, if you like, as, as one of those ginger cafe moments. Yeah. <laughs> I think the I think the positive you have from playing a sort of game like that is because people look at it on paper and think Aston Villa, like, no disrespect to that side, but obviously were a better side than us overall. Um, and you're playing a Premier League side and everyone will think they'll just roll you over. But the positive you have as a team that low down, they're not used to those sort of tackles you talk about there. They're sort of used uh, to, like, if anything, the Premier League minimal it, contact. What, what happened was with that Aston Villa day in that game, I think it was a turning point in the season. Mm. Um, I, I, like you talk about the connection between players and you talk about the connection between players and fans or a club and a club, if you like. And it came together that day, I felt. I felt that, Fans like clapped us off, and they, like we said, they knew that we'd we'd give absolutely everything. And I think from that moment, from that day, our promotion kick, if you like, really got going. Um, I think the, the fans got on board with us, um, and, and it just was like a snowball effect. Really, it just got bigger and bigger. Um, and as I say, in the end, obviously, the momentum that we, we gained from that, I think, was was a real turning point in our season. Yeah, it's all about it's all about when you peak really. If you're chasing the playoff position, like if you peak too early, like a couple of seasons ago for Jules, yeah. we we peaked at really early time, and we ended up. We think we were uh, first or second going into the new year. We ended up finishing ninth because I think teams just worked us out by the second time round. But when you talk about there, obviously that game was in January, and obviously we we kicked on from there, and we peaked at a time where we only had a few months left, and we just kept winning and winning and kept doing what we were doing the way we were we were planning to do it. And then by the time we got in the playoffs, it almost sensed like. I don't know if it was for you as a player, because you knew the momentum you had, but as fans, considering our, our record in the playoffs is usually quite good, we seem to get to Wembley every time we're in them. Yeah. So it's always like we sort of knew that that whatever happened between now and the season, if we're in and around there, we're going to get the job done. And I think that's still still on our mentality now, because Steve Evans, who's our manager now, a few, a few weeks ago before, obviously, the football was suspended and whatnot. I think we were about six points outside the playoffs at the time, and he said, I know what will happen if this club gets into the playoffs, we'll win them. And it seems like a weird... We have a positive mentality we've had throughout the football clubs. So when when you got to that that stage and you knew it was going to be the playoffs, did you have to 
sort of psych yourself up because obviously the playoffs are quite mentally draining I imagine and it's always a uncertainty and unnature of it because when it, it's sort of like three cup finals really if, if you get to the final when form form essentially in a sense goes out the window it's just who's the best team of the day and obviously we come to the first first leg away at Rochdale away at Spotland we drew, drew nil you had a pretty fierce shot that day I think if if you could have made that up in your head that would have gone straight into the top corner I think it's just palmed round how, how difficult was it to or actually, do you think it benefited you having the home the home game second? Because I always thought that at the time. I think the last thing you want in the playoffs, really, in the first game, I know it's not the be or end all, but if you were to choose, you'd rather be at home in the second leg just to get you over the line. Whereas if you're away, you have to sort of deal with the mental the mental block of the home fans and get through it yourselves. Yeah, I think probably it was quite a strange one actually because we played Rochdale on the Saturday as well. Yeah, we so we played them. Our last league game was on the Saturday, um, which we played them away. Like leaving Rochdale, was like it's going to be strange. This, well, I think we're coming back. Was like Wednesday or Thursday, I think. Um, so like we it, we knew that um, I think Curtis Western might have scored that day. And it was one nil, wasn't it? Well, I think that we probably knew that. Um, especially the the form we were in going into it, that we we were a match for anyone. Um, we had quite a settled team. We all sort of knew our roles within it. We all um, we'd won some tough games away from home at Chesterfield's old stadium and things like that. We'd we'd won some good games, and I think that we went into it. It's probably similar to what you're saying there. Like we just probably knew that. Um, Andy Bartram and we had we had we had goals in the team. We had match winners like Simeon Jackson, obviously. Um, obviously, Josh Wright had come in and and he'd found his sort of niche just in front of the back four. I was playing some really good football at that time, and Curtis Weston and um, Dennis Ollie with pace and Mark McCann. We had we had so much uh, with Kingy and um, Gary Richards centre half and, and Barry and Johnny Nutter at, at fullbacks. I think we had such a settled team. Um, and we just went into those playoffs knowing that we probably would win them. I know that sounds stupid, but I didn't think that it didn't enter my mind that we wouldn't. Um, and then we obviously we had a good. I felt like it was a good result really at Rochdale to sort of come away with a draw. And then I think we got an early goal at Priestfield. And I think from then on, I just knew we was going to win. Um, I just felt there was a real, like I say, that togetherness that was in the club from Aston Villa, and then we'd had some. I think actually Easter weekend against Dagenham and uh, we'd, we'd, we'd got a late goal there and I think we just we really sort of gained a momentum and a, a, like a we didn't care about anyone else and I think anyone that come across our path if you like even if we wasn't playing so well we'd beat them we'd just stay in games and everyone sort of started to know their jobs from set Peter. we just knew our, knew what we was all good at and um, I think that to say, I think that held us in real good stead for that season and, and to win at Wembley, if you like. And um, it was quite a strange one for me, though, individually, because I'd, I'd actually um, put in a transfer request. Uh, I think Josh Wright had just signed on loan. And I just remember thinking, I'm gonna, not going to get a sniff here. And I was on the bench, I wasn't coming on. And I actually put a transfer request in to the chairman and the manager. And um, I just wanted to go and play, really. I thought there's about seven or eight games left of the season. Like I might as well sort of let it be known. I had a year left, but from that, I think from that point, even for me, like in training, a weight lifted, and Mark Simpson's put me on at half time at Wickham, um, and I played quite well. Um, and then I got in, got in against Dagenham, and uh, so we won. And I think individually, I I played quite 
quite well really the rest of the, I was like a new signing if you was if you like because I was so fresh and I hadn't played a lot of games in probably February or March and I think I went into those um that April and May really fresh and I think that um at that age and at that time I was probably a good influence on the team yes as I mentioned there we'll come back on to transfer requests in a bit but as I mentioned there about the the possibility of whether you play home or away the first leg I suppose when you mentioned that's a good result of Rochdale I suppose if you're at home in the first game, is the pressure's on you. You think that you have to win the game just to take something back. But if you're away, as long as you don't lose, it's a positive result. And then obviously, we took that back to Priestfield. We had a double from Simeon, uh, assist from Bartram for the first goal. And then, oh, that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I remember it now. He crossed it, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And then we uh, we conceded, a, I think it was a deflected goal, one of them. Just think, I think it might have hit Kingy on the back and then gone past it, yeah. Royce. Then second half we we pushed on. Nutter gets taken, gets well, I say taken down, gets wiped out really. After the ball had gone in the area, and Simeon obviously, ice call from the spot. Obviously, he'd scored so many goals that season. So I think we were ever in doubt. That was only going to go one place, and that was a good good Rochdale team as well. You know, yeah, lots of Puckley, Adam Lafondre was there at the time. So it's obviously a tough tough one to get through, and I think we hit the bar just after making it two one through uh, Gary. I think hit the top of the bar of a header. And then yeah, finally, yeah. We, we, we get the full-time whistle. And obviously, the play, everyone runs onto the pitch to celebrate. I've never always been a fan of that in the playoffs, I must admit. I've never been one of them who's like, if we win a playoff semi-final, I'm going to run on the pitch because I think, oh, if we muck this up in the final, I'm not half going to look stupid. Like, it's always one of them. But did you, did you, did you feel like you, you were able to celebrate that win? Or was it more of like, we've done the, the first part now, now... As if we don't win the next part, then this is this day isn't really going to live long in memory because it all it will think, make me think about is that we didn't get it done in the end, or did you have a sense that you have to celebrate it a bit? But now it's time to get onto the proper business of going to the final, getting it done. Yeah, it's quite. A, I think because it's Wembley, I know it sounds like because it's Wembley. I think you do celebrate it. It's like bloody hell, we're 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 going to play at Wembley, and um, at that time, obviously, it was quite new. It was a new stadium, wasn't it? It was only mm. probably a couple of years old, and I think you. That is the that is the, that is like the pinnacle of most players' career, you know, to play at Wembley. And I, I remember, sort of, I was close with Josh Wright at the time. Was like, wow, we're going to play at Wembley, like, and it was a you did celebrate that. Um, but the gap in between, I felt like it was forever, you know. Like I think it was a two week gap, um, and and it it's a tough one. Like looking at it, it's probably from more from a coach's point of view now. Is like getting the balance between. Uh, training and then not training and and being sort of hitting your hitting your peak if on that Saturday. But um, yeah, as I say, it was it, it wasn't it was like a half a job done if you like. You still sort of come back down to earth on Monday or Tuesday thinking, well, we're not actually promoted yet. We've got to we've got to play a good Shrewsbury team and 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 your sort of attention turns to to sort of the, the final if you like. Um, and obviously, what had gone on beforehand with the results against Shrewsbury, I think that um, we probably went into it underdogs from the outside, but people within it knew that we was on a really good run. I don't think we got beat from probably April onwards. I don't think. I think we were really like strong. Even that like last league game against Rochdale, I think we found a way to win, and uh, it. it I went into it thinking I just knew that we we wouldn't lose, and that sounds obviously it, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But I, I look back on it now, and I, I had such confidence in us that we were we hit such good form that we were going to be really hard to beat. Yeah, I I think as a fan we saw that as well because we knew 
We know when you keep momentum and you peak at the right time, you're going to be difficult to stop. And it's always been the way of Gillingham sides. Like when we really hit form, we're, we're not half, we're more than half difficult to stop, especially when you're playing at Priestfield and the crowd is so intimidating for away players as well. So we'll we'll move on to the actual day itself. You got through that, that two-week break of thinking, is it ever actually going to come? Are we stuck in this little loop forever? Uh, you get to Wembley, I think, I assume, I, don't know, I know, I remember seeing pictures, like a few days before the game, you go to the stadium, don't you, and have a, have a little look round, you walk on the pitch. Is that sort of like a sign that's planned mentally to sort of get you prepared for it? And what was your first experience is walking out of there? This is before the game, of course, just to have, to have a look and really, does it really sink in where you're actually about to play and what's at stake? Yeah, I think I think as well it's such a... Um, especially like sort of from my, my age who knew the old Wembley as well um, and, and watched you were only six there I'd been to, to watch Tottenham there I'd been I'd been to that site if you like or that, that place um, to watch football of, of such a big scale and, and you see the new one and as I say you go in and you think I'm going to be playing it was uh, it, it makes you go cold thinking about it really um, it was such a uh, an excitement if you like and, and you just can't wait for the for the moment or that wait for the start of the game. Um, if anything, now I sort of think you you wish that bit along. But if I could relive it, oh, you'd give anything to do it, you know. But you sort of wish that sort of day or two along because you just want to go and play and you want to you want to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 brilliant memories of of the build up and um, I suppose obviously it's even more so because we 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 won if you like. But I remember the. The bus, the bus has like an eerie sort of silence as you're pulling up because people are just this is this is obviously for a lot of people throughout the le- the leagues and, and and whatever play you are to play at Wembley um, in a competitive game and um, in front of how many thousand we had there fifty five sixty thousand I think was was well, obviously was a was a brilliant brilliant moment. Yeah, so talk me through the day of the final. Then you, it's obviously a lot. I suppose everyone says you keep the same preparations as you've had for any game, but I think all players, no doubt, down inside that it isn't any other game. Obviously, with what's at stake and whatnot, you, you know, you put up to the stadium in the bus, you get in, do your warm ups. What what was, what was the mindset for you prior to that game? Did you sort of have the nerves, or was it more excitement, or what was the percentage difference between them? Yeah, I think because I was so not so young, but I was young. I was twenty one. I think. I think I look at it. I look at it now and I probably was probably over excited maybe I remember sharing a room with Josh Wright and we were struggling to sleep the night before because it's such a you're not used to playing in a game of of that magnitude probably um, and you build it up in your own mind and, and I did struggle to sleep the night before I was sort of tossing and turning you sort of all you're thinking about is that next day and um I think it probably takes a lot from you, like nervous energy and exciting energy, if you like. And you probably um, look back on it and you think, just sort of try and savour it all a little bit more, or just enjoy the enjoy the morning. But it was it was quite tough to do that because all you all you're thinking about is the game, and you're thinking about obviously people that are coming to watch and things like that. So I look back at it now, and you think maybe just take a couple more deep breaths, or you know, like yeah. just relax a little bit more. But I think at that age, you're you're just so eager to get out there and to to show what you can do on on, on a stage like that. But um, I remember the morning I, again. I just felt that. It, it felt different to like an every obviously every week every game a, a game every every week in the season there was a real um, 
sense of purpose, if you like. And and I think we watched their like motivational video, and it was like, right now we know what we're going to do now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's brilliant to sort of run out, and I think obviously the warm up, you just you just sort of buzzing to get to get started, really. And um, you sort of look around and think, oh, this is this is this is brilliant. So what was a uh, what was Mark's final message to the players before you took to the pitch then? I just remember. I, I remember uh, the, the manager actually being being really calm as well. Um, I just remember him sort of throughout the build-up. Really, I think he probably knew that he had a team in form and a team that was going to be hard to beat. Like I say, and I just remember him being really confident and just saying, "Go out there and enjoy it. Don't don't hold anything back. Just go and play your football." And I think he was. He when I look at it now and. and He'd been a manager in a lot of finals. I think he'd won three FA trophies back to back. He'd managed at Wembley. To be fair, the first ever game there for Stevenage. So I think that he he wasn't new to um, like massive occasions for players. So I think he had probably he knew how to deal with those big occasions, if you like, as a manager. Um, and I thought he 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 was really good on the day. I didn't think he got. Overexcited. I don't think he he sort of let us, let us feel his nervousness or his emotion. I thought he just sort of his calmness probably uh, reflected onto the players. I think even us going in tracksuits. I know it sounds stupid, but I remember him just saying, "Well, look, we go in tracksuits to play at Morecambe, or we go in tracksuits to play." We had nice new ones, but listen, I'm I'm not a suit manager. Like it's not us. And I think those sort of things now, I look back at it now and I think that was actually quite uh, masterful because I think a lot of energy and a lot of time and thought can be lost on nervous and hyped up energy. And I don't think he had that on that day. Or if he did, he he hit it quite well or he he played the role of of a manager and, and of what he wanted us to do really well. Yeah, because most people in those situations, and when it's a big game like this, I think the main thing people say is like, you've got to keep to what's got you here in the first place. It's always like play the game, not the occasion. Yeah, and I think he, I think he, as I say, he, he did that really well. I think that um, Scotty Barrett was Scotty Barrett probably still and like fist pumping and like revving it up and things like that. And we had a song I think that we all loved at, at the time. I can't, I can't remember what it was, but and I think we just had that on, and that was one of our sort of G ups if you like that like it's time now and like let's go and but he he had always um really take a step back from it and as I say uh I think probably now I look back on it now and I think I'd love to sort of see it all again you know and uh to, to feel that to get that feeling uh back so no it was, it was a great experience so for the game itself, I, I remember I was thinking at the time it might end up being one of them games because first off, I remember first off, we absolutely dominated the old game. They couldn't get out to save our lives. So we were having so many chances. I remember I think we had a corner routine where um, Nutter had yeah. it and got it right at the edge of the box and hit one destined for the top corner. I think they had uh, Luke Daniels in goal that day. He's obviously, uh, I think he's at Brentford now in the championship and he's gone on to have a good career. And we had uh, Josh Wright had a chance that just went, just was tip wide as well. And we seemed to just be, the whole first half specifically, just peppered their goal for 45 minutes. Just couldn't quite get away through. And we were doing everything but score, essentially. And it was one of them where you thought, because oh, Shrewsbury in the first half were poor, we dominated the whole game. And you sort of felt like they're going to come out in the second half. They're not going to be as bad as they were there. Although 
as good as bad as they were is because we didn't allow them to play but second half it was a bit more of an even affair then obviously as the clock ticks into the 90 minutes we get our moment of a corner which uh looking back on it yeah. wasn't a corner was it? Yeah. but <laughs> you know yeah. no VAR back then so who cares and um you know we we get the corner obviously it's uh swung in by Josh and they're probably the smallest player we had on the pitch Simeon Jackson gets his head on it jumps over big Grant Holt uh, Luke uh, Daniels gets a touch to it. I think he can only flick it onto the crossbar and it bounces back underneath and over the goal. And then obviously the instant euphoria of the, I think it was like 35,000 Jules fans or something like that. We vastly outnumbered their support, but the, you know you would expect that given they've got to travel a lot further than we have, but still. And yeah, that was the moment where, where we got promoted. And, and you know, it's a, one of those fairy tale ones, really. If you offered someone like, would you rather win a game just 1-0 on the day and score it in the first half. You choose an injury time winner every day of the week and it was uh, Definitely. one of them euphoric moments I don't think I'll ever forget. Like seeing, there's something like seeing, seeing your hometown club get promoted at Wembley and score an injury time winner and just putting all that hard work into fruition and making it count. And What, what was your emotion when that goal went in, when you just saw Simeon rise and the ball had ended up in the back of the net? Um, it, it, was, it was quite... A strange one, really, because um, I think that, as you say, as you say, I think we we completely dominated them throughout the game. Um, I felt that all that was lacking, obviously, from our performance was a goal. Um, we'd we'd played really well. I remember sort of thinking in the first half, like you said quite rightly, like where's a goal coming from? And then the second half, I thought we had more legs than them. I thought we had a lot more energy in our team. I thought they looked quite a tired team. Um, but at the same time, still had that threat of Grant Holt. But um, when Barchi done a great little bit of work down the line, um, I knew Josh had really good quality on, the, on his delivery and his set pieces. So I knew probably that he, he was going to hit the money. Um, and I just think probably in those situations, I look back on them now. And uh, and because at that time, like you see it happen so much, uh, even the last few weeks, I watched the Man United when they won at, at, at Barcelona they're heightened aren't they because at the time of the game so like it was 90 minutes was on the I remember being I think I was on the edge of the box or I was I was back and I just I was quite tired as well like physically drained because of the game and it was hot and things like that but I just remember the the, the noise and the crowd uh, the roar and, and just uh, uh, just unbelievable feeling of of uh excitement and euphoria really there's probably been not been a many well no there hasn't been a moment or a, uh, a feeling like it throughout my career where you just you, you can't put it into words that the feeling and I think I actually run to the bench because I was so shattered and tired I couldn't make it to the corner but I look at it now and I think that it uh, that probably that that goal uh, summed us up uh, as a team really that um we took it to the wire, but we we still had the we always uh, find quality and togetherness and the the bravery to to win. So, um, no, it was it was it was a great great footballing uh, memory and moment for me. It was unbelievable. Just hypothetically, if it had gone to penalties, would you have backed yourself? Uh, yeah, I would have actually. Yeah, I think that um, I think that at that time, 
Um, I was playing, I was playing well in those last couple of months of the season, and I think that I was, uh, I would be, I'd be one of the players that I would have put my hand up. So yeah, I would have, I would have took one. Um, I think that's if I'd have been still been on because I'd, yeah. that, that Wembley took a lot out of me, out of my legs that day. So uh, I think that it was, um, yeah, it was, as I say, a moment and uh, an afternoon that I think most Jill supporters and anyone that was involved in it will, will, will never forget because it was a, it was a real magical uh, moment and, 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 a, and a, probably a period of time, really. I think that, as you say, without sort of trying to be Noel's but we, we was in such good form and I think the club really came together at that point but obviously you mentioned about earlier about your transfer request when when we obviously got promoted is that was that sort of a time where you thought that you you wanted to carry on and obviously you did or was there a bit of you thinking like I've played a, a vital role here in getting us promoted by playing the playoff games and the playoff final this is perhaps a good time for me to move on yeah it's a strange one really because I think because I played such a uh, a key role from probably April when I when I put it in to to getting promoted, I think it sort of um, covered it up a little bit. Really, I think that we didn't really address it after that. Um, maybe looking back on it now, I probably should have sort of backed it up if you like and gone and saw the manager or the chairman and said, "Look, well, where do I stand now?" But I think that it was such a a major point in my career. Um, and such a euphoric moment, if you like, that I, that I just sort of left it where it was, um, because obviously we'd achieved such a, gr- a, a great uh, moment away at, uh, at, at Wembley, if you like, being at Wembley. I, I didn't think too much about it, and I, all I was looking forward to was playing for Gillingham in League One again, because obviously of the disappointment from when we played in League One before, and that's all my mind was set on, really. So. Um, I just kept thinking I can't wait to go to the big clubs like I think Leeds were still in there again and yeah. this one and that one and I was really looking forward to playing Swindon at home some really big games and um, I just remember my focus being on that rather than I want to leave like I didn't really want I didn't want to leave anyway it was just more I wanted to get my career going if you like um, but yeah like I look at hindsight as I say one thing and I, unfortunately I got a really bad injury that I think set me back at Gillingham and I never really recovered from it um, so uh, no it was it, it was uh, some good experiences and, and memories really yeah so the following season you did still make 20 appearances that year and you got your only goal for the club that year actually as well and uh it, yeah. it was a it was a tough season, but it's, it was one of those weird ones. I was saying this to Mark last week. It was a it was a tough season, but it's one that I still have some good memories from. Like, as you mentioned there, we we uh, scored the first goal of the EFL calendar that year, I think, because we had an, we had an early kick off against Swindon on the opening day, and we uh, trounced them five 0 Simeon Simeon got a hat trick, I think. Mark and I want to say Adam Miller got the other goal in that game. Yeah, and I we, did, yeah. We beat them 5-0 and that was obviously the best start to the season considering the little rivalry we have with Swindon as well. And we also that season, we beat a lead side at Priestfield with the likes of Johnny Housen, Luciano Becchio. I think Beckford was still there at the time. Uh, I think yeah. we got one there as well. Popped up quite a bit that year. And um, yeah, we did have some good memories that year. We beat Southampton again at home. Uh, Josh Gowling got an injury time winner that day, I think. Uh, Charlton and Norwich, we got draws against at home. I think Norwich, we conceded an injury time. Then Charlton, we drew one all with that infamous. Two away, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Two all at the Valley and one all at home with that infamous um, John Nutter slice that ended up in his own net, which is oh, one, yeah. of the, one of the comical moments of my time at Jill's. So we shouldn't we can look back on a laugh now. 
<laughs> and um, obviously you got your your only goal for the club uh, away at Exeter. I think that was an injury time equaliser, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 But the problem that year is we we were good at home, but we could not for the life of us buy a win yeah, away. And I think I think our yeah. waiting form that season is ultimately what killed us. Is there anything you can really put that down to why we were so good at home for the vast majority of the season, but for one reason or another we just we just couldn't do it away. I don't really, I can't really put my finger on it because, I, like you say, I thought I thought that we started the season how we finished the season before. Obviously, I know it sounds, and I, obviously on a personal note, I, I had a, I had a really bad injury, so that was that was uh, disappointing for me. But I just remember that first game at Priestfield, and I, if you'd have said to me then, "Cool, you're going to be relegation," I, I wouldn't have believed you. So that's what football's like. But I just felt that probably what happened was. It's like sometimes with a lot of things, it becomes it becomes something the longer it goes on, um, and I think they probably got to Christmas, and then you think, "Wow, we still haven't won away from home." Then you get to the end of January, oh, still haven't won, and, it, and and in the end, um, I was actually involved in the last few games. I, I, me and Mark Stimson sort of fell out, but I think that I look back on it now, and I think it became a bigger, it becomes something, and I think then. Like you say, when momentum's going for you positively, I think when momentum isn't and it's the opposite, it becomes quite a bit of a negative. Um, and I think probably the players did get affected by, oh, we haven't won, and you'd be winning 1-0 or something like that, and you'd, you'd find a way to not win. Like, like Whereas the year before, when we was going for promotion, if you like, it was the opposite, where you're winning 1-0 and you know you're going to see it out or you're going to win 2-0. Um, whereas I think the year after... In League One, and 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 also the, the quality in League One was like it is obviously now, but the quality was high as well. So you couldn't, there, there wasn't sort of like whereas in the League Two there might be a game where you think we should win that, you know, like mm. if we're on our game we'll win that. And I think in League One it just didn't, we couldn't hit our straps away from home, and um, yeah, it was a disappoint, disappointing really to to leave. Well, for me to leave Gillingham. Um, and for it to end the way it did in relegation. But um, there's a lot of to in and fro in that year. I think Mark Simpson sort of, there's a lot of turnover of players. And um, I think he probably might look back on that now and think that he would change certain things that he did, not even about me personally, but I think across the board, he probably would learn a lot from that season and think that he might do things differently uh, looking back on it 10 years on. Um, but like I say, it was a strange season because there was such there was some really good results um, and some really uh, unbelievable results, really, when you look at it. But just couldn't quite gather enough momentum to to, to keep us safe. Yeah, it's a bit like with the away form. You can sort of apply it to like strikers to say the longer they go without a goal, yeah, the harder it is for that. Just you know, people say that like, if you're a striker, all you need is like, one to go in off your backside just to kick you up again, but. Where it's so hard to just get that one goal, it, the longer it goes on, the more of a mental strain it is, more of a, you know, because the fans get on your back, the fans get on the manager thinking, where's it coming yeah, from? I think it, even they probably in the end, like, they're going thinking, we're not going to win today. And then that feeling, if you like, um, goes, not like, you just end up thinking, oh, we haven't won, we still haven't won, we still haven't won. And it becomes bigger than what it actually is. Yeah. Um, but no, as I say, some still some really good memories from that season. Like you say, we went to the Valley and played played some really good stuff and filled out that that stand at, at the Valley with with Gillingham and um, the Chapel one at home was a great game. Like you said, it was a really 
it was there were some brilliant moments in that season. Quite a strange season, I think. But uh, again, as I say, once the, the fans really do pull together at the Jills, and um, there, there were some really good moments. It's ultimately ended away at Wickham, a club that you went on to play for, of course, and. We we had a really good chance early in that second half. I think Simeon put one over from about a couple of yards out somehow, and then we went on to lose that game. And we needed like a ridiculous swing of results for us actually to go down. And like, as I suppose it sums up a lot that season that those results just ended up happening, and it all went downhill for us. And we ended up relegated. Stimson got you know berated by the fans at the end of the game. I was there, and all the players were getting an earful from all the supporters and how it all ended up. And I just want to touch on it as much as you can say it. I'm not going to force you to, you know, say things you can't say. But when you mentioned the little fallout with Stimson, that was like, what part, what part of the season was that in? Like near the end or the middle? Or? Yeah, I think it was towards the end, really. And um, I think at the time I might have, I might have uh, mentioned used this analogy, but like in the end, I think me and Mark Stimson had, uh, like you have it with a girlfriend. In the end, you you you're getting on, then you're not getting on, or you you have it's going well and it's not I think in the end it just was like we had to sort of go our own ways if you like um, I think that it, he I think he spoke to me a couple of weeks before the end of the season and I, I think I didn't even have to go into training and things like that so it, it ended quite quite bitterly between the two of us um, it's been I've seen him since but what I mean I think that um, as I say yeah probably a disappointment that it ended that way um, on a personal note, especially after 12 months before having that euphoria of Wembley and really feeling like I'd sort of shown the Gillingham fans what I was about, really, um, as a player and as a person. And then to sort of have a sort of stop-start season the year after, um, probably something I look back on in my career now with, with, with a disappointment, really. Um, and also for, for me to finish um, in the way I did with Mark Stimson, um, because I feel that obviously he he was a major catalyst in my career getting going, but then at the same time there were some things that went on which I felt he didn't hold himself in that uh, in in great regard with myself. So yeah, it's something that I look back on now as like an older man and uh, and things like that. I just think that um, I was a little bit disappointed with how he probably treated me at times. Um, I don't think he needed to treat me the way he did at times. Um, and I and I probably am a little bit disappointed in that now. But listen, it's football, and everyone has opinions, and that's just how it is. Um, but I still think there's a level and uh, a mark of, of respect you should show people because everyone, at the end of the day, you look at it now like football's not the bill and end all. There's, there's there's life that goes on in that. And I was a young player and a young man, and I don't think I needed to be probably treated with that level of. Um, What's the word? Disrespect. Not disrespect, but with that level of distastefulness, really. There was times when I was put with the youth team and um, when I didn't need... I, I, I had some tough times at Gillingham and um, I think to keep sort of coming back from those and, and in the end, we just got to a point where it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't ever going to work. So that in your mindset, obviously, given you put the transfer request in before, you'd obviously given it a go with this season because you were obviously still under contract at the time. And you wanted to play yeah. in League One, obviously, obviously helping us get there. That's where you wanted to play. And maybe that that bit there you're talking about is when you thought like, well, I've, I've given it a go. I've, I've, you know, I've stayed true to my contract, but now now is the best time, obviously, because we got relegated as well. You, you just thought yeah. that well, I think this is where yeah, I have to go. I now. remember um, 
yeah, it's like obviously like the year before, uh, the transfer of Quest sort of got, and, and I got injured. Obviously, I was out for about three months with a really bad ankle injury, and I think that probably. Uh, I, I took, it took me a while to get back from that and, and to probably hit the heights of the year before. Um, but then obviously Hesse came in and I think that I've probably come to a point at the club where I hadn't done enough that season to really say, yeah, I'm going to stick with Stu. And although I knew Hesse, he spoke to me personally, I think that I was ready as a, as a, as a player and as a person that stage to probably um, have a new challenge and I hadn't done enough probably at Gillingham to um, for him to think right I'm going to keep Stu and, and, and carry on and obviously my contract was up anyway um, so I sort of went on from there but as I say it's, it's a real I've got some excellent memories and I've had obviously to play at Wembley at, at 21 and to win is a great great well one of my top footballing memories so I think that I look back on my time at Jill's with Probably now I'm sort of finished. Uh, a hint of like what might have been a little bit. Yeah. I think that I, I had some real good times and sort of probably teased teased that, that what I'm about, but not not enough really. Yeah, so we'll move on to the club where you probably did fall into your own a bit more, if you like, and played some of your best football. And you, that was via a move to Dagenham, actually, which didn't didn't work out, but it turned into I suppose a blessing in disguise in a sense because you went on to join. Wickham on an initial month loan, which was then extended in in the January of a uh, January of twenty eleven. I want to say um made ten appearances for Dagenham before moving to Wickham, and then for a five year period between twenty ten twenty fifteen, you made one hundred fifty two appearances for the Chair Boys, eight goals in that time, helped them gain promotion to automatic promotion to League One in twenty eleven. Uh, you've obviously collected a lot of accolades there for everyone in your time. You're Wickham Supporters Player of the Year in 2012-13, made captain by Gareth Ainsworth in 2013, Players Player of the Season that year as well. Um, so what I'm basically trying to get out here, obviously you got the automatic promotion. Would you say that your time at Jules, you were sort of hinting at how good you could be, but for one reason or another with injuries and whatnot, it didn't quite get to the level you wanted to. But when you got to Wickham and you're a bit more of a mature time in your career in terms of you've been in the Football League for a lot longer at that point, that was when you really kicked on and played some of your best football in your career yeah I, yeah I think it's been summed up brilliantly yeah I, I think that um so, like sometimes that like, you learn a lot from like adversity and you when you look back on your career you think I learned probably more about it for the tough times and things like that so I think that um I went to Wickham after a little period at Dagenham that didn't wasn't too successful that probably a little bit similar to when I started back at Stevenage where it was like well, this is when I go on loan at Wickham now. This is like a little bit do or die. <laughs> like I, I think it's either I, I, go, I do really well here and I and I make a, a name for myself, or it's going to be a little bit uh, moving around again or scratching around for another contract somewhere. Um, because I'd had probably a little spell of maybe a year where there wasn't much sort of going on and things like that. So I went to Wickham and I probably, as I say, with the help of Gary Waddock, who was manager and uh, through Gareth Ames of playing under him and playing with him, I really sort of uh, laid down their marker, if you like, of this is this is what I am and, and, and who I am. And I think that um, I look back on it now and I, I played some really good football there. And um, as I say, probably one of those that I haven't got as many regrets compared to probably what I had at Jill's yeah. where I probably was a little bit up and down and um, I didn't really... Um, I did become a regular, but not enough of a regular to uh, 
I didn't bang out a 45 game season if you like but whereas at Wickham I did that for a couple of years and I think I showed showed them what I was what I was about really so yes it, 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 that was really well put that probably I matured as well as a player and um, as a midfield player I, I started to really sort of round my game off a little bit yeah, and obviously, as you mentioned there, not being a first team at other clubs with 152 appearances at Adams Park, you obviously got that stability you want at sort of that, the time in your career as well where you've achieved the promotion with us. And obviously, you, you've you've had a lot of experiences in that time of your career. You've experienced promotion, you've experienced relegation, so you knew what it took. And obviously, that came to fruition when you won automatic promotion to League One in 2011, I think. I think I'm right in saying that was a season where we we may have finished. I think we finished outside the playoffs on goal difference that year. I think might be wrong on that, but yeah, you got you yeah. got back to League One that's that year, and obviously you you suffered the same fate. Sadly, the year after when Wickham were relegated in 2012, and then yeah, what what was what was that period like for you? Because it's sort of like deja vu in a way where you you've done all the hard work to get. The promotion, and you've ended up slipping down again. What, from the Wickham point of view, because I don't, I don't know anything about this season in terms of Wickham, other than, you know, the statistics and that. Obviously, being a Gillingham yeah. fan, so what was it like mentally for you to have the high of promotion, but then ultimately suffer the same fate again? Yeah, it's it's quite strange actually because I am um, very similar to what happened at, at Gillingham, where I'd got promotion and then I um, I sustained a bad ankle injury. I actually got. Um, I was in pre-season and it was a night before a pre-season game, second or third game. And I actually um, got admitted to hospital the day after. I was in loads of pain with pneumonia. Um, so that was it. It was strange. I think it was like a bacterial. I don't know how I call it. But I actually, I was out for about four or five four or five weeks, actually, with pneumonia. And I think that, not to say that that's, the, that that's, that's not the reason why, obviously, we got relegated or anything. But on a personal note, again, it was like a... A euphoria and then probably a coming down again individually as well as like a, a collective one so I think that that was probably a disappointment more than ever because like like I'd said a minute ago I'd really sort of hit, hit my straps at Wickham that year we got promoted and I'd, um, I'd laid down a really sort of good marker I was a first team regular I'd signed a new contract and I was really ready to get my teeth into that season and then I sort of went down with a pneumonia and i as I say, I'd lost about two stone, and I just wasn't uh, that probably the same player for about a year, really, because I just couldn't get my body back to those levels. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a strange one because obviously a massive disappointment of like being relegated because as I say, I had some good times at Wickham, and we also had a good team spirit, and that we just we just probably didn't have enough goals um, in us, and we probably conceded too many, which obviously is a bad recipe for any team, but. Um, yeah, as I say, as well as a, a, a collective disappointment, also individually, where I probably felt wasn't quite at my best again in in League One to show what I could really do. Um, so yeah, that's that, 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 that. I look back on that now with a with a, with a tinge of disappointment. Yeah, so the following season, twenty twelve thirteen, you finished fifteenth uh, in League Two. That was obviously the season we uh, we won the title, which is a lot of great memories for me, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Um, in 2013, as I mentioned, you were made captain by Gareth Ainsworth, who's obviously still Wickham manager now and he's doing very well in League One. They've uh, been top for the majority of it. I think they're still in, a, in and around the playoffs now. Slipped down a little bit, but hopefully they they do manage to actually put it off. That'd be a thing, great great thing for them and obviously a great thing for the league, considering all the massive teams that are in our division, for someone like them to 
get a promotion would be great. But obviously, I think Gareth had only just stopped playing a couple of seasons before, maybe. I remember a game, I think we, we played him at home. And I, I don't know what season it was, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty certain we lost 2-0 to Wickham and Gareth scored both of them. And I don't think it was it was too long ago at this point. How, how was he for you as a manager? Because he's obviously matured a lot in his role now. And obviously, all I ever see him get is credit from not just you know Wickham players and fans, but all the people surrounded by football and say he's a great coach. Could you... Could you see that early on and how, how good was he for you as a manager? Yeah, obviously I played with him first of all, so um, I've known him as more as a player than, than, than anything. And I think one thing that um, he, he did as a player, uh, and I go back to myself really, or go back to all the top Gillingham teams or individuals or whatever it is, but he had this... Uh, brilliant work ethic and he just literally um, was so fit and made probably the most of what he had um, as a player um, to be as effective as he could be and, and he was a real effective player um, he'd score goals that you wouldn't expect and he had a real um, never say die and never be beaten attitude and I think that um, he's brought that into his, his managerial uh, role as well he's probably got like he's probably got better as that's gone on as well. He works with uh, Richard Dobson, who, who was there when I was there, and I think they've built a real um, understanding and know-how of, of, of what they do and how they do it. And um, as I say, in his early days, yeah. obviously he was in the transition of being a player and a manager, and I think that he probably wanted to get to a point where he had... Um, where he was known as more of, of a manager than Gaz because obviously he, he'd been a player with a lot of us and I think he wanted to sort of come away from that but he's done a brilliant job there and like with anything in, in life um, he, he, he just worked really hard at it and I think that he puts a lot of time into it and as I say with, when I look back at uh, even my times at Gillingham and when things were going really well there and I see a, play, a player would always be doing extras and, and, and it would always come out on the pitch and I think Gareth Ainsworth is one of those that um, will have a good career in the game because he's he's a hard worker and he's got a really good football uh, football knowledge and know-how so um yeah, he's done, he's done a good job there, and um, I think it's a testament to most to most clubs, really. Or that, that if you give someone time, and um, we nearly got relegated when we was in League, League Two, but they gave him time to probably. Um, it's like with anything, like we spoke about, like as a player, you've got to give people, or even managers, you've got to give managers time to to really. I know you don't always get that now because people want results here and now, and that's what football's about. I get that. Um, but there is some some processes that take longer, and I think Wickham have been really patient with 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 him, um, and he obviously has also been patient with those, with them too. I think he's had some opportunities to leave, and he hasn't gone. So I think that, as I say, he's really sort of forged a, a brilliant name in the game, and and he deserves everything that he gets really. Yeah, we'll move we'll move on to the last few topics now. We're going to cover your national league period you made. 169 appearances over spells at Ebbsfleet, Maidstone and Dover. That was between 2015 and 2019. Dover, of course, being where you uh, where you ended your career. I want to talk about one specific game, which is quite interesting considering you ended up playing for both. Uh, you played in the um, Ebbsfleet-Maidstone uh, final game where you obviously went to penalties. And I'm just looking through the team sheets here. That Ebbsfleet team wasn't half bad, was it? The likes of Danny Kedrow obviously was at us. Yeah. Dean Rance is obviously former player of us. Matty Gordon, who we spoke about earlier, you played with uh, at Ebbsfleet. And um, 
yeah, you lost you lost that one when you were playing with Ebb Street and to Maidstone on penalties and um, how how does that rank in terms of like your your I suppose experience in those sort of big games considering because you lost a penalty shootout in at your own stadium and it's obviously a bit odd that I suppose you'd wouldn't think of a, a final would take place in a in a in a normal stadium like that and it obviously Maidstone got the promotion to National League where they obviously are now. And it was actually Danny who missed the penalty, which is quite uh, <laughs> quite weird, considering yeah. he usually sticks them away for fun. And that was in a two-all draw. And, well, you were you were just about as close as you could be, really, to the National League at that point. Uh, Keds had put you two and up with not long left. And then, obviously... There's... Yeah, it scored two penalties in the game. Yeah, and then Maidstone, with hardly any time left, managed to get it back to two-all. And then, obviously, that resulted in the penalty shootout, which... Unfortunately, you you just came up short in, and what are the emotions like in that one? Um, it's quite strange actually because uh, but the goalkeeper Lee Walker is actually a really good friend of mine now, the Maidstone goalkeeper. Um, but but that season, uh, Epsfleet, we'd we carried a lot of. Uh, we talked about momentum earlier with Gillingham, and we. We, we were flying up until probably February or March and then Sutton were just sitting under, underneath us and and we we hit a bit of a wall a little bit um, and, and we couldn't get over the line. So Sutton won the league and, and we went into the playoffs. But we probably we probably like fell into the playoffs rather than like sprinted into them. Um, and I'd say when we was at Gillingham back in, was it 08, 09 or when yeah. we... When we um, when we won and we we sprinted into them and we were we were a team to beat if you like whereas I feel like when we at Ebbsfleet we had a lot of big players and there was a lot of expectation on us uh, like you say the likes of Keds Matty Godden myself we had a lot of players that um, were seen as like league players or we had a, had a good budget and, and, and the, the spotlight was on us and I think that probably um, it, it it eventually caught up with us a little bit, um, and in the final, it was uh, as I, said, I won. I won. I think I did. I, I think I won two of the penalties, and, and yeah, Keds both. put them away. You, you won both um, due to you basically made their player and balled it twice. Yeah, I did. You won yeah, both I, of them. I, I, yeah, two assists. And, uh, so I, I think that I, I look back on it now, and for the euphoria of of, of, of the Gillingham day uh, when we won at, at Wembley, that was probably a real that was a real kick in the teeth I played every game that season I think I'd missed two or three not a lot but I played every game and the feeling of that ball going in I can still feel it now Um, and then obviously when uh, we lost on penalties it was it was just so strange and Maidstone Maidstone probably had something that I could now having played for Maidstone and I went to them the season after which is really strange um I know that they they had such a togetherness, and although their budget was nowhere near Ebbsfleet's from a country mile away, but it just, they just had a togetherness and a and a real spirit. And I think we probably, if we're being honest, that Ebbsfleet lacked that lacked that little bit of togetherness. It was more sort of good players together and just playing rather than we wasn't built on a real uh, togetherness um, as much as, as as Maidstone maybe. Yeah, obviously, Ebbsfleet don't have the financial stability they have now. Of course, obviously, it's gone a bit downhill since. Yeah. Then. Was it was it considered a bit of? A, did you get any stick from like Ebbsfleet fans? Obviously, making a move to Maidstone given the rivalry. Uh, no, I 
didn't actually know. It was a player that I played with previously, Daryl McMahon, um, who was the manager there. And uh, as I say, I think that um, he made his decision. He, he was going to take the he take the team a, a, another way. Um, and I think all the all the um, I've got player of the season the year that we lost in the final. So I think I was a, a, pop, a popular member of the team, and I think they understood my reasonings for going to Maidstone. I think the manager wanted to go a different route, and that was fine. Like that was obviously prerogative. And um, I went on loan to Maidstone and um, had a really good time at Maidstone. So I think that. Um, people understood that it was quite a strange, strange thing for me now, though, looking back on it, as I say, because if we would have won that day at Ebbsfleet, it, it would have been a completely it. different journey for me, you know, um, whereas we lost and then I, I went on to have some uh, some really good times at Maidstone. So, uh, yeah, it's quite a, a strange one looking back on it, but uh, brilliant, again, brilliant experiences and, and, and also some, some tough ones as well. But um, I made some brilliant friends and some... some uh, some excellent uh, people along the way, really. Yeah, you had a good time at You won uh, Supporters Player of the Year 2016-17, named in the Kent Online Team of the Season in the same year, and you were made captain in 2018 of January. But um, that all ended when you put in a transfer request in October of that same year. It's the second transfer request we've covered so far, and that obviously <laughs> um, that led you to Dover. So what, what was it at a time that... Um, made you want to because obviously you did end your career at Dover after the same uh, just one season there before you retired so what was it about what was it about I suppose Dover that made you want to make the move there and why was it that you felt your time at Maidstone was up at the time um, I think it's just one well not one probably a couple of things really uh, Jay Saunders who uh, took me on loan from Ebbsfleet um, he's still a good friend today and he, he'd he been sacked um, and then Harry Wheeler came in um, and, and and change things a little bit. Um, it, it, it was a totally different feeling around the place, and um, we encountered some tough times and, and things like that. And and I think I, I I was a little bit older than Harry Wheeler as well, and probably a little bit more. But I found it quite tough. Um, Jay Jay Saunders leaving, and and that togetherness and that. Um, spirit that we'd, we'd created sort of dwindled a little bit to be honest um, and the club went through some tough times and Andy Hesson Tyler um, had gone to Dover um, and obviously um, made a bid for me and, and and I went to Dover in the end. Um, it was a bit disappointing to finish the way it did at Maidstone because I'd had some great times there and, and things like that but um, how things had gone at Maidstone in the end I, I felt that moving to work with Andy Heston Tyler at that stage in my career was something I wanted to do um, and I wanted to be managed and learn from him and I had some brilliant experiences from Hesse from when I was younger and um, I knew Nicky Southall who's as well was going to be part of his, his backroom staff obviously played with Trigg at Gillingham as well so I think that I probably got to a point where um, I wanted to to go and to play under play under Hesse really. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that I look back on now. And um, we did unbelievable at Dover to stay up um, from where we was. And um, but yeah, as I said, I had some great times as well at Maidstone. So nice, no, it's, it's some it's some uh, good memories. Yeah, so obviously you got to something you wanted to do was work with Hess for a while. Obviously, you, you could have had the chance when you were at Gillingham, but obviously decided to move on at the time. And then you obviously ended your career at Dover with with Andy. You, en- you ended your career when you were only thirty one or maybe thirty two at the time, 
it's, someone could look at that and think that's maybe a, a bit early, but obviously you did. You where you're at now, to, uh, coaching at Tottenham, I should say. You started that four years prior in twenty fifteen, but only on a part time basis. So did you did you have the thought in your back of your mind that if you maybe you you finished up with football at that age, you could go and move into the coaching role at Tottenham as a full time basis as you are now, or did you feel like you still had more to give in the actual playing sense? Um, yeah, it's probably a strange one, really, because I, I knew I'd probably got to a point in my career where uh, the balance, I've got, I've got a little boy now um, with my partner, like, I've got a little boy and he's 18 months now, and I probably got to a stage where I, I knew the travelling was becoming too much for me um, and coaching as well, so I'd be out two, three nights a week and then obviously coaching on a Sunday, playing, training in the mornings, playing on a Saturday and probably the work-life balance that you're not aware of when you're like early 20s, mid-20s, that in my early 30s, I thought, I can't carry on doing this. Um, so it's really tough. And obviously, coaching is the next step, if you like, in your in your life and in your career. And um, I got offered the under-16 full-time job at Tottenham. Um, and I just felt that at that time, it was the uh, the right time, if you like, to, to, to do that full-time because... As I say, the year when I was with Dover, I felt that a lot. I was taking a lot from myself, and to to hit the levels, like even you say in the national league and things like that, it's a good level, and you've got some good players down there. And if you're doing other things, it's tough to stay um, at that level. And my pride was coming into it, and I, I didn't feel that I was probably um, at that at that same level. And I made a big call. Probably I look back on my career. I, I did that a lot. You know, I made some big, big decisions and big calls. And I think this was probably one of well, the biggest one. And um, as I've been full time at Tottenham now, and I've met some brilliant people. And as I say John McDermott gave me an opportunity to to do full time coaching, and uh, it's something that I love and, and enjoy. So I still got that football hit on a Saturday and that football buzz. But I do miss uh, putting the shin pads on or, or the boots on. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something that uh, I, I look back on now, and and I, I think I made it for for sort of my life yeah. uh, balance as well as uh, football as well, really. And ultimately, you get the family life, and you still get a stay in the game, so it's all well and good. Well, we've no, covered so obviously coaching wise, it gives me a chance to stay involved, and obviously, hopefully, in the future, I might be involved in a first team or. Um, managed somewhere so nice it, it gives me those uh gives me the platform and, and it gives me the learning experience to do that really right well we've covered your whole career now it's been really ex- interesting chat actually and we're going to end with some twitter questions some instagram questions and some facebook questions i picked out about five because there's quite a few from those different platforms it's going to take me too long to find all of them so <laughs> we'll um We'll start with the one I mentioned to you earlier, actually. The one from the Stevenish fan, Reese, who runs a Borough FC Central, which is a really good page if you're a League Two fan, Stevenish fan, and keeps an update of everything there. And he said, because obviously he watched you when you were at Stevenage, he says, you was one of the best performers after Stimson's departure and you quickly became a fan favourite. Did Mark Stimson's departure affect others dr- dramatically or was Peter Taylor just not the right man at the time? Um, I think that it was more Mark Simpson's uh, departure. I think he'd brought um, everyone to the club in that squad. And I think that when 
when you build such a t- tight and together squad and he was the leader of it and when he left I think that it just as I said earlier it probably took too much away from most of the players um, I think Peter Taylor was going into a situation that he was never really going to probably uh, win around um, I think he did the best he could and I've really enjoyed working under him actually it was it was brilliant to learn from him um, but I just think that at that time there was too many players that had been brought in by Mark Stimson and, and it didn't really uh, work out as maybe as it should have Alright thank you for that one Reese. we've got one from Lee Clifton his Jules fan said was winning promotion from League One at Wembley with us obviously the best football moment of your career this is an interesting one because you've got a lot of Got a lot of uh, different one ways you can go here. I've obviously got the Wickham promotion as well. So where does that rank? No pressure. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that when if you have if you said to someone or if you said to me now as a dad that your you're gonna your boy's gonna have a last minute winner at Wembley playing in a League Two final or a cup final, I'd, I'd bite your hand off to see it. And yeah, so definitely that it was obviously the national stadium with all the history that goes with it um, and and to win as well um, yeah that was that would be a top the top football moment yeah I better not catch you on a Wickham podcast next week saying it was them getting promoted <laughs> no no to be fair like winning at Wembley I think people would understand that that in front of 55 65 whatever it was to score a last minute winner I think uh, it's quite understandable uh, this one's from Callum Amberley and he says if you can make a dream five side team from players you've played with who would it be Choose whatever uh, formation you want. Although you are you are limited with just five. So yeah, five. Um, I would put uh, Lee Walking in goal. Um, I thought he was a, a brilliant keeper. I played with him at Maidstone, and he should have played in the league uh, hundreds of times. But um, he was a brilliant keeper. You got a lot there, a actually, goalkeeper wise. You got Callum Ashmore as well. Royce, two good keepers there. I'd say Wolgan was uh, it'd be close between Wolves and Morrissey but I'd say uh, I'll go Wolves uh, because he was a, as a, a brilliant character as well as player um, who, else would I, who else would I put in there so you're, going, you're going two centre-halves one midfielder two strikers and that's already more than five I'm trying to fit a formation this would work out uh, uh, Leon Johnson um, I played obviously his former Jills as well Wickham, um, was it? I played with I played with John O at, at Wickham. He was yeah. brilliant. Um, also, one of my best mates. So <laughs> he nice. um, he was he was one of those that like come Saturday he'd find training quite tough. He wouldn't be a great trainer, but I literally come to a Saturday and he would be uh, he would be brilliant. He'd be on the on the front line. Um, so I'm not going to go. With, I might go just go one at the back. I might just go all out attack. Um, Risky. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put uh, Simeon Jackson up front. Yeah, definitely, I've got to put Jacko up top. So I'm left with two more. Yeah. Uh, who would I put? Who else I played with? Ainsworth, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, put, yeah, Gareth Ainsworth was uh, was really good. He can go, he can go in there. Uh, and then, who else have I played with? Actually, no, I've got, I know it sounds really bad, but I've got to take Ainsworth out. Jordan Iad. Oh, I played yeah. with Jordan Iad at Wickham when he came through, and he was unbelievable. Still he was brilliant. Money, yeah. He was 15, and he comes to train with the first team, and he absolutely showed us all up. So he's got to go in there. Um, 
so I'll put him in there. And Two then more. also, who can I put? Uh, also, really good. Um, I'll go. So like, there's a lot of players. To be fair, there's a lot of good players. Oh, I think I've got something there yet. You'd be terrible on a TV show. <laughs> Good uh, yeah, I'll put Gareth Ainsworth in there next to Jordan Hyde, yeah. Yeah, one more. I've got one. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got one more. Who did I form a really good partnership with over the years? Actually, I'll put, well, I'll, I'll put Barry Fuller at the back with... Um, I'll put Barry, Barry Fuller at the back with Leon Johnson. So that's a 2-1-1. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Right, not bad. Move on to the last couple. This one's from James Canterwell. I hope I'm saying that right. Apologies if not. He said, um, when you were watching Simeon Jackson play, did he, is he one of them strikers that he'll score on the day, but in training he'll miss about 10? Um, yeah, he just always, I just feel like he always had a knack for, knack for a goal. Um, I always thought that he had a goal in him, even if I remember watching something about uh, Ian Wright yesterday, and I think that he just you knew while while he was on the pitch, you had a goal in you. He might not be having a great game, um, but he always he always had a goal in him, or he, you felt that he, he might he might just get a little tap in or something. So yeah, and I always felt that with Jacko in the team, you'd have a goal, um, or even if he was nil nil or one nil down, that he might he might nick one. He would obviously miss his fair, fair share like most most people, but um, no, he, he was really good. Uh, last two. This one's from Peter Collins. He said, if there's um, one one thing that was missing from your game or you didn't you didn't have as much of in terms of what other stuff you had in your game, what would it be? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck in on this. I'd say, I think from your point of view, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you would have liked to have scored more goals than you have. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to my head, really. I think... Only one for us. Um, pardon? Only one goal for us. Yeah, I think that I look back on it now. I think that I know it's how I was in training, or um, don't mind that former manager said this actually. I was actually quite a good finisher. Like I would always, um, I'd be a really good finisher and um, a lot of small side of game would score a lot of goals and. Um, things like that, but I, I just didn't. I didn't score enough in games. Um, maybe probably didn't put myself in enough p- positions to score um, and things like that. But yeah, that's probably my one thing I look back on. That um, probably in the times when I probably could have nicked a move here or there, that if I'd have, if I'd have scored probably five or ten more goals a season, or well, everyone's going to say that, aren't they? But probably it's the one thing that I got better on later in my career is is nipping in with a few more goals, maybe yeah. um, a little bit wiser in my movement or a little bit more knowledgeable in my movement or, or picking up positions that enabled me to. But I think that, yeah, I probably lacked, lacked um, a few goals in my game. So I think that sort of midfielder. I look at it now more from a coach's point of view. If you can, if if you had the energy I did and uh, the parts of my game, I think that that'd have been really good to add the add the goals to it. Yeah, a bit like a Frank Lampard arriving late into the box sort of player. Yeah, I think obviously he was one of the best in the world. But someone that, as I say, if, if 
and sort of like a, a lower league manager for as well as being a really good energy and someone that can win the ball back for me and who can run and play forward if he can add another sort of five to eight goals to my team then I think that would have been a massive attribute but uh, yeah something that Hopefully, I can teach my boy. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do two That's more. Cool. One of them is just one of one I've just thought of on the top of my head. But this one's from um from Jack Collins, and he says this would be interesting considering the teams you played in that League One season. What's the best stadium you've played at? Uh, Ellen Road was outstanding, just for atmosphere and uh, and feel. It was just unbelievable. I think they sung that song that marching on together, and I think the whole. The whole stadium was was rocking, if you like, and um, I remember standing on there thinking, "This is this is unbelievable. This is brilliant." So, uh, yeah, Ellen Road was was, was my top uh, stadium um, to play in. I just felt that I played in Hillsborough a couple of times as well, um, but that was that Ellen Road just had a, a, an unbelievable feel about it. It was it was electric. I'm glad you said that, and not Wembley, because Wembley would have been a cop out. <laughs> Yeah, I know, no, yeah, I think we spoke about Wembley enough in the, in the last couple of hours, but no, it was uh, Ellen Road was was as well as Wembley was was brilliant. It's just a final one from me before I let you go. Something interesting that has come to me as we've been talking throughout the past however many minutes. Um, so when you do put in a transfer request, what's it like dealing with a chairman in that sort of scenario? Um, Paul Scully was actually really good with me. Um, I sent a letter to to him and to the manager, I think, and to the club secretary, and he actually he actually rung me to to go and see him. Um, and I think it was actually Paul Scully that helped me get into the team. Um, I wouldn't know for a definite, but I think that he was like, "Look, sure, I guarantee that you'll get some playing time um, and and you'll be involved." And I, I was I was quite. I was rather quite sort of pleased with with my relationship with Paul Scully. I felt that he was always um, quite good with me and really uh, really good with me. So I think that was that was how I dealt with that one. Um, and I think he could probably understand as well. I think he sort of he understood my reasonings. He didn't see it like I was throwing my toys out my pram. I think he sort of thought I, I understand why, if you like, um, and that's always important for a player to know. That their coach or whoever's in a in, in a um, somewhere of authority understands why, and I felt that he understood why. Um, my one at uh, my one at Maidstone didn't go down too well. No. Uh, Bill Williams, who's who's a brilliant guy and uh, got brilliant experience and someone I hold in high regard. He he, he wasn't happy at all, and that uh, I was lucky I had my dad with me. I think I'm quite enough to come out of there in uh, one piece. So um, yeah, that was probably. a a slightly more disappointing uh, or a little bit more of a dicey situation than the Paul Scully one. <laughs> well, Stuart, thank you for your time. It's been a long, extra length episode today. It's been really fascinating, fascinating insight actually to what was a great time for Jules and your career as well. Thank you for sticking around, everyone. Hopefully you uh, get to listen to this soon. We'll hopefully have it out within the next couple of weeks, given the schedule we've got at the minute. Um, Stuart, thank you very much for coming on. Very thank enjoyable you. episode. Really appreciate that. Yeah, all the best at Tottenham and hopefully we'll speak to you soon at some point. Definitely. Definitely. See you, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. See you in a bit.